Welcome to Access Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas Bank here. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, Facebook's latest fumble and China's other trade war. But first, WeWork gets ready for its close-up. So about two hours before the stock markets opened this morning, WeWork filed for its long-anticipated initial public offering. And what that really means is that every mom-and-pop investor will now be able to buy into the co-working space operator sometime after Labor Day. The big thing to know here is that WeWork is... Well, it's big. It's got over 500 locations in 111 cities in 29 countries. Over half a million people work in its facilities, and revenue has doubled year over year. WeWork didn't invent the idea of co-working spaces, but it has supercharged them and has basically become shorthand for such facilities, kind of like Kleenex is for tissues or Xerox is for copiers. WeWork also has something else that's big, losses, which is one reason why it is so controversial among potential investors. The company's net loss was $904 million for the first half of 2019, yeah, just six months, and its operating loss was over $1.3 billion. Now, WeWork will argue, as lots of high-growth companies argue, that the losses are because it keeps adding new locations. In other words, it's investing for growth, and that the upfront costs of opening a new WeWork are high, but the long-term payback can be profitable. The company also argues that in the case of recession, it might be okay because any lost membership would be replaced by companies with pricier leases elsewhere, companies seeking to cost-effectively downsize. The bottom line here, this is expected to be the largest IPO for the remainder of 2019 and the next big test of Decacorns, privately held startups valued by venture capitalists at $10 billion or more. The last two tests, Uber and Lyft, are both trading below their private valuations. And the number for WeWork to hit is $42 billion. $42 billion, by the way, is also more than 10 times what the company's London-based rival, Regis, which has slower growth but knows how to turn a profit. It's also valued 10 times less than that $42 billion. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on all things WeWork IPO with Axios reporter Kia Kokliacheva. But first, this. With Silicon Valley Bank, you'll get a banking and financial services partner committed to seeing you through the ups, the downs, and the I'm way in over my head moments. There are also scalable solutions that fit each important stage of the startup journey. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. We're joined now by Axios reporter Kia Kokolicheva. We work got upset with me a couple of years back because I think I wrote that its valuation, which wasn't close to that $42 billion yet, was based on a real estate bubble built on top of a tech startup bubble. But when we read the IPO documents this morning, the startup bubble piece of that, the idea that WeWork is really reliant on all of these little Silicon Valley and Boston and New York companies, doesn't seem to be as true anymore, Right. Yeah, I mean, there's one thing that's interesting is that the company has really been focusing on getting what it calls enterprise customers in the last couple of years. And those tend to be like Microsoft and large companies like that to sign like multi-year deals with like lots of seats for its employees. So yeah, you're right. It's totally not the two-person startup that's there month to month. And now that's 40% of its, what it calls members. So it's definitely been a huge switch that's not really gelling with that early narrative that we all looked at. There was another number in there. You you talk about these long-term contracts. WeWork talks in there about how they've got $4 billion of, uh, I can't remember what they call it, but basically kind of future revenue. And it's tied to what they say are non-cancelable contracts. So, I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, if you're a startup that, you know, files chapter 11 and goes out of business, you're going to cancel the contract because you don't exist anymore. But as you say, if you are a Microsoft or a company like that, that's kind of guaranteed money in the door in 2020 or 21 or 22. 
Yeah. If you're a Microsoft, you're probably not going out of business until then, so you're probably okay. You're thinking about this in a lot more of a similar fashion than you're thinking about your traditional office leases and needs. I know you have physically worked in a WeWork. I have not. I've been in them, but I haven't actually gone there day to day. Why would a big enterprise company want to use a WeWork? These are companies generally that have big campuses, their own offices, their own culture. Why would they put employees in a WeWork outside of maybe you know one or two remote people in a market that they don't have facilities in? There's probably a few things. One is sort of the idea that at this point, WeWork has so many locations that You don't have to go from market to market, city to city, looking for an individual office and, you know, having to do that manually. You can just sort of go to WeWork and tell them what you need and they will set you up because they've got so many locations. And then you also get to outsource a lot of the stuff. I mean, again, I doubt Microsoft has issues running its own offices, but it also gets to outsource that. I mean, employees just show up. Everything's there. It's taken care of. There's free coffee all the time. And Microsoft literally does not need to think about it past the point of sort of dealing with the initial setup and telling we work what it wants. Kia, a lot of big tech startups, popular tech startups are, are not only founder led, but kind of uh, founder imbued, you know, they, they kind of are their company. And, and there might not be another one that's quite even like WeWork, where Adam Newman, who runs this thing, not only kind of is the mission, is the happy cheerleader. When you go through the S1, he controls this company outright. He's got two other co-founders, including his wife. They don't control the thing. He's got the shares. He's got the votes. He seems to be, it's kind of his mission, his vision. Obviously, it's a big company with hundreds of thousands of employees, but is this really a one-man show? If they're important, they have given up their rights in this thing. They don't have votes. They don't have much stock. Newman basically controls all the founder shares. The market basically went through that with Facebook. So maybe for WeWork, they'll be okay with that kind of a structure again. And obviously, and this one's interesting because a lot of these tech companies have dual class stock. Uh, This one's got a triple class stock, which I'm sure has happened before, but I haven't seen it. You covered uh, SoftBank, the big Japanese investor, tech conglomerates earnings recently. SoftBank is the largest outside shareholder in WeWork. It's the one that gave them that $42 billion valuation. Obviously, SoftBank's own return, SoftBank's own performance have been hit a bit by the Uber IPO and kind of underpricing recently. How important is WeWork to SoftBank? Very. I mean, it's poured in a obscene amount of money. I mean, probably around about as much as it's put into Uber at this point. And so this isn't a trivial investment for SoftBank by any means. And it's also not only invested in, you know, WeWork, U.S. business or what have you. It's also set up joint ventures. It's invested in some of WeWork's overseas operations. So this is, SoftBank is all over the place on the WeWork. You're based in Silicon Valley. WeWork is a global company, but it is a New York-based company. And and there seems to be this ongoing question of, is it a real estate company? Is it a technology company? Is it a real estate company with services, et cetera? From the Valley point of view, do you get the sense that people there view WeWork as one of them, as one of theirs? I think culturally, probably it's similar. And so here folks kind of relate to those teams in that sense. And WeWork does build a lot of proprietary technology to help it manage its real estate spaces. It also does office management for other offices. And so it does build a lot of technology in that sense. But the whole bet here isn't on technology. It's really on real estate and a different way of thinking about it. So it really depends on how you want to look at it. It's very much a real estate company that has some pretty interesting tech. You, as an Axios employee covering this company, are not allowed to buy or sell WeWork shares. Same with me. But, and we're, I don't even know what the price is. Generically speaking, though, 
would you be a buyer of WeWork stock if you could be a buyer of WeWork stock? Great question. Probably not. I feel like in the last few IPOs, we've seen some pretty surprising market performances from companies like Uber and Lyft. And so at this point, I'm not quite sure how this is going to do once it hits the market. Axios is Kia Kokliocheva. Thank you so much for joining us. My final two right after this. Have a great idea for a startup? Silicon Valley Bank wants to help you make it a reality. With more than 35 years of experience, they understand the challenges of the startup journey and have created banking and financial solutions to help founders every step of the way. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Facebook, which yesterday acknowledged that it had contractors listen to and transcribe private voice messages by users. So two things here. First, Facebook is hardly alone. Google and Apple were doing basically the same thing until being shamed into submission by the media a few weeks back. Second, Facebook says it stopped at the same time as Google and Apple, but it didn't publicly acknowledge its activities until Bloomberg News had the goods. In other words, Facebook once again failed to alert users to a major privacy violation, which means the social network either hasn't learned its lesson from past privacy breaches or it just doesn't care. And finally this morning, there was an insurance merger north of the border worth looking at. It involves a Virginia insurance company called Genworth Financial, which in 2016 agreed to be acquired by a Chinese company called China Oceanwide Holdings. Now, U.S. regulators signed off on that deal, but Genworth has a big Canadian subsidiary and Canadian regulators weren't quite so amenable. So again, this deal that was signed nearly three years ago has been sitting in limbo. Today, though, Genworth agreed to sell off most of that Canadian subsidiary, although the whole thing reflects really how China and Canadian relations have become quite tense, almost like they have here in the U.S. Not only is Canada's government thinking about banning China's Huawei from its 5G networks on national security grounds, but China, in retaliation, has detained a pair of Canadians and just stopped importing both canola and and meat from Canada. The bottom line, East and West are not getting along. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great National Creamsicle Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.